Mark 12, as we continue our way through the Gospel of Mark, um, I need, you to, I need to tell you a little bit about a group called the Sadducees. Uh, Jewish culture and just Judaism in general was uh, divided into different groups of leaders based on different sets of beliefs. And if you look at Mark 12, verse 18, I'll tell you the most important thing to know about the Sadducees for today's discussion. Um, verse 18 says, The Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they ask him a question. Okay, so that's the main thing to know about the Sadducees for today, is that they didn't believe that there was anything after this life. This was it. So you live, and when you die, you cease to exist. There's no heaven, there's no reward, there's, no, there's, there's nothing beyond this at all. This is it. Um, let me read you a paragraph. Uh, I listened to a sermon from John Mark Comer, and he read this. Uh, this is a paragraph from a, a piece of literature written at the same time. It kind of sums up the ma- mindset of the Sadducees. And you tell me if this sounds familiar or not. They say, for we were born by mere chance, and hereafter we shall be as though we had never been. When it is extinguished, the body will turn to ashes and the spirit will dissolve like empty air. Our name will be forgotten in time and no one will remember our works. For our allotted time is the passing of a shadow and there's no return from our death because it is sealed up and no one turns back. Come therefore, let us enjoy the good things that exist and make use of the creation to the full as in youth. Let us take our fill of costly wine and perfumes. Let, us, let none of us fail to share in our revelry. Everywhere let us leave signs of enjoyment because this is our portion. Does that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like the way that most of our world lives its life in reality? You know? that there, This is all that there is. You know? And even, even some, some of that belief in the afterlife that is shared by, by many. Uh, a lot of times, though, if you look at the way that our culture behaves and makes decisions and uh, uh, the way that our fears and anxieties rise and fall over d- different things, even if you're, you don't straight up adopt the mindset of the, of the Sadducees, there is, that's, a lot of times it's kind of how we live in the same way. Um, and so th- that group of people... Very, they were very powerful. They controlled the temple. They were uh, kind of the party associated with wealth and the high priests, and they were kind of a big deal. They come to Jesus, and they, just like the other groups that we've seen in Mark, they try to set him up with a question uh, that's going to somehow trip him up and give them a reason to kill him. And so with all that in mind about their perspective on uh, that there is no resurrection, let's look at their, what they say to him. Um, Sadducees come to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they ask him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up uh, offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise, And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Now, 
First of all, it's got to be the most obtuse group of brothers you've ever seen, right? Like two or three deaths in, you'd be like, hold on, I ain't marrying this girl. Okay, so, um, but they're referencing something we see in Deuteronomy 25, which is called leveret marriage. Um, if you're familiar with the storyline of, of the book of Ruth, uh, it's kind of the, the same thing. And so um, the leveret marriage was designed to, to take care of widows, to keep the family line intact. Um, it was, it's weird to us, but it had its place and its goodness uh, in, in its time and all that. Um, but what they're doing is they're, they're saying, okay, here's a scenario. If, if you were to run that all the way down, uh, if resurrection is true when everyone rises from the dead, who, who gets, or who has to be her wife, right? Like, who, like, how is that going to work? They are presenting this as an absurd, like, reason why that resurrection is just this silly, ridiculous thing. And so Jesus does what Jesus does, which is answer their question with complete brilliance. Um, look at verse 24. Is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Uh, he, he looks at these scholars. I mean, they, were, they held to the first five books of the Old Testament. They, th- they thought everything else you know, wasn't, wasn't to be held to. And he looks at them and he's like, you think you know the scriptures, but you do not. And you don't know the power of God. You don't understand resurrection. In the next verse, he says this. For when they rise from the dead, they will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, what in the world does that mean? Uh, Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that when you die, you become an angel. Some people, that's kind of where that whole belief comes from. That is not true at all. Issue for another day. Um, he, his point is that uh, for people who are married, whenever, whenever uh, the resurrection happens, um, you will not be married in the way that you are married now. That you will be like angels who are not married because they're, they're completely God-oriented. They're focused on God. And so you, like these listeners and us today, uh, you will not be married in the way that you are married on the new earth. Now, um, if, you are, if you are married, you don't need to like worry. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to be separated from your spouse forever, that you'll be strangers or anything like that. If you guys want to pal around for eternity, then you pal around for eternity. That's great. Um, what, but what it's saying is that you will not be, you won't be married to each other. You could be best, best buds, but you'll not be married. There's a, there's a need for marriage on this earth. Uh, marriage is a, it, it is a shadow of this reality. It's a picture of Christ and his church that, that we need in order to understand, in order to communicate to the world exactly like God's God, like God's relationship to us, um, marriage is necessary for that. Marriage is necessary for men and women to be married and to like, have kids and to populate the earth. Uh, to, it's marriage necessary for the structure of the family. Um, it's good for all of these things. Even, to, even down to the point of God says it's not good for man to be alone. So God created a number of solutions. Marriage is one of those solutions. So marriage, so much goodness. Um, but none of that will be necessary when we're resurrected. We won't, we won't need a picture of Christ in the church because we're living that reality. We won't, we won't, we won't need it to like, none of those things will be necessary. That's what Jesus is saying. But this exposes 
like a misunderstanding on the part of the Sadducees because they are assuming, and, and track with me, I know I'm kind of being kind of scattered today, but they, they were assuming that resurrection is basically just a, the resuscitation of your current life. Right? Like you just come back to life and you're like, it's the same thing as here and you just live on for eternity. That's why they're creating their question is like when all these guys are raised from the dead, they're all going to think that that's their wife and then they're wrong. And so they're, they think they've like pulled a fast one on Jesus. And he's like, no, you don't understand when you don't understand what resurrection actually is. You think it's just resuscitation, but it's, it's recreation. They're very different. So let me talk for a few minutes about resurrection. And yeah, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Turn to it or scroll to it or whatever, however you need to get there. 1 Corinthians 15 be, will be important for us today. When, when I say uh, resurrection, most uh, Western Christian folks think about Jesus, right? Holy Week. He dies on Friday, he's buried, rises on Sunday, it's Easter time, that's my king video plays at church. We, we think about that, right? And that's completely, completely good and correct. Uh, that is the most important resurrection of all time, and that should be the first thing that comes to your mind. Before this morning, I want to add to that what comes later, which is, which is your individual resurrection. So I don't want to act like I'm passing over the resurrection of Jesus because I'm not doing that. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus that you and I will also have our own personal resurrection. That's what I want us to to focus on for a few minutes. Um, So uh, we have to think of our lives in three, kind of three stages, right? There's, There's life here on earth, and then there's, uh, you, you, you die, and there's time in heaven. And then after time in heaven, when Jesus returns, he makes all things new, recreates the earth, and that's when he like, raises us. That's resurrection. Most folks think of there's life, and then there's life after death. But I, I want us to think about there's life, there's life after death, and then there's life after life after death. Is the third one. There's, there's three tiers to your horizon, okay? And I want us to look at the third tier. So think about that, that version. And we see, it, we see it happen with Christ. It, uh, in, in this same chapter, uh, Paul says that um, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. What that tells us, the first fruit of a harvest would tell you what the rest of the crop would look like. So what happened to Jesus will happen to all the rest of us. So what do, we, what do we see happen to Jesus? Well, we see his life and we see his death. Then he moves, he moves to that second tier. His spirit goes to be with the Father in heaven. His body goes into the ground. And he waits. Um, for him, it was a relatively short wait. For others, it's a longer wait. Um, and then when he is resurrected, his body and his spirit come back together there's a reuniting of those things, but it's not the same body as it was walking around the earth. And here's how we know that. As Jesus appears to them, and they know that it's Jesus, but he's not bruised. 
He's not like bleeding out of his side. There's no wounds to tend to. I mean, Roman crucifixion was the most cruel thing they could come up with. Uh, if Jesus was to walk around three days later, he would, he'd have been in bad shape, let's put it like that. But he's not in bad shape. He's, he's, be- he's beautiful. And he, he has scars, but they're healed. This is all a part of what Jesus is trying to communicate here to the Sadducees. He said, you guys think that resurrection is, it's the same life as here, it's just on the other side somewhere. But what God is describing is there is a progression with Jesus, his life, his death, his burial going into the ground, and his resurrection. But what is resurrected is different. So, what does that mean? Well, look at 1 Corinthians 15. Paul gives some imagery to it that might be helpful. Um, verse 35 because this was a common, common objection. What the Sadducees were saying was very commonly, I mean, people thought it was crazy. And let's be honest, it's a little crazy, right? Right? Like the gospel, the, like, like everything that we're talking about, it seems foolish and, uh, until Christ in you is the hope of glory. And then you're like, oh, wait, that's, it, just, it always seemed foolish, you know? So Paul is having to explain this stuff too in Corinth. And he says, uh, some are going to ask, verse 20, uh, 35, some are going to ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they, uh, what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what, what you sow, so he uses an agricultural uh, metaphor here, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he's chosen, and each kind of seed its own body. So um, uh, the Bible Project guys, use, they, they use the idea of an acorn. Um, and I, we can identify, we got a lot, of, a lot of oaks here in Louisiana. And so what he's saying is that the, the acorn has to fall to the ground die, go into the earth before it can emerge as an oak. Right? We, we see that all the, all the time. That's why you get random oak trees growing at different places because sometimes those acorns get embedded down in there and then they do what an acorn does. He makes this comparison a few verses later. Look at verse 42. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Now watch the, watch the, the, the pattern that he goes back and forth. Um, basically, he's, it, it's going to go over and over again saying that you plant a seed as one thing, but it emerges as something else, right? So the acorn, um, it is sown in, uh, sorry, so it is the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable, okay? So the acorn uh, is perishable. The oak is imperishable. Uh, it is sown, sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. This is, this is the, the, like, do you, you see the pattern that he's saying? That that's what resurrection of the dead is, is that something is sown, it dies, goes into the ground, but what emerges is not the same thing. It's a, a better version of the other thing. So resurrection is not just resuscitation. It's not, it's not these, these seven brothers in the story 
raising up and then having a brawl over over who gets to marry this their wife uh they're all raised from the dead including the wife and none of them are who they were i mean they are but they aren't they recognize jesus but they said there's something different about jesus is that, is that, that working so the idea of being a, an acorn in this life you will die and go into the ground and when God brings about the resurrection of all the saints from heaven, we all emerge as oaks. The Sadducees, the ones asking this question, they believe that this world was all that there is. When you die, you cease to exist. That's it. Live it up right now. Let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Now, because of that belief, they ordered their lives a certain way. That gave them certain priorities. That made, led them to make certain decisions because they weren't looking at the next tier or the next tier. But Jesus said, hey, I, I've come to, to, like, to bring you hope and to bring you a future, and I'm going to tell you all about it. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why this whole concept of resurrection, why he is pushing back on them and saying, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God because God is doing something and is, will do something with your life that's going to blow your mind. So I, I, think there are, I think there are two big action points on this that will help drive this down a little bit further. One of them is um, in the next let's say in the next couple of days, if you were to take time to, to actively think about your life, like your resurrected life, that you are an acorn right now, you are broken, but thanks to Christ, you are healing, right? That you're awesome, but you're an acorn, and to think that at some point you will pass away and they'll put you in the dirt in some capacity and your spirit will be in heaven and you'll be waiting. You'll be waiting with a whole bunch of other people that are waiting. And at some point, the trumpet is going to sound, whatever that is like, and everything's going like, to get really interesting and Jesus is going to make everything new again. And those oaks are going to start to rise. Remember Ezekiel 36, 37, right? The valley of dry bones, his bones about to stand up. There's a rattling that starts to happen. And those, those bones take on muscle and then the spirit breathes life into them. That there is, there, uh, there is this grove of oaks waiting for you to think about what what am I what is that going to be like? What is a healed version of me? Like a completely, permanently, eternally healed version of me look like? Were the things about your life that you wish you could just change, just flip a switch and change? Were those struggles and addictions and tendencies and patterns and all those things will you'll be healed you'll be free from those 
That you won't be in a world that's constantly tempting you and lying to you and and trying to convince you to live uh, a certain way and to eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. That you won't have the Sadducee mindset constantly coming your way. That you're in, they're just not in that world anymore. Like what is a what does the oak version of you look like? That you take time this week to. Th- to think about that, to, to dream about that. What, what is that going to be like to just be free forever? In 1 Peter, he says this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That, that everything about it, think how hopeless the Sadducees were. When I was a kid, they would tell us, you know, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. That's why you remember that. And as corny as that is, you'll remember it, first of all. But, but think about how sad an existence it seems like at first, like, man, this life is all there is. We just, we just do whatever we want all the time. And, you know, it, it seems first. But how many of you have gone down that road and realized how empty that is? You know, we've all done that. How sad an existence. And Peter is saying, we, we have a hope that's alive because Jesus is alive. He's saying, look... Look at the next tier and look at the one beyond that. Like that, that's where our hope is anchored. Our hope is anchored in the person of Jesus Christ who is there uh, securing that and holding that. And that's why he says the next verse, to, that's our inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That that's what that tier looks like for you. That your future is not uncertain. That you're not trying to figure out, uh, like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen after this and this and this and this. Like, no, your future is, that's how he des- describes it, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And it's being kept, where is it being kept? In heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In the last time, that's when those oaks begin to grow. And so Peter is trying to say, don't get focused on this world because this is not all there is. You've got to look beyond and then look beyond that. The Bible talks a lot about that, about that new earth, that recreated earth. Jesus is trying to help, help us understand it's not resuscitation, it's recreation. The acorn becomes the oak. So the first thing is to actively think about not just a general, what is it going to be like for all these people out here to be resurrected? Look in the mirror, pray in the mirror and think, what does it look like for my life, for me? What does the resurrected Josh look like? What is Josh the oak? What is that going to be like? And the second thing is to take that and to drag, to drag that into the present. Because that future absolutely makes a, a difference in how you and I live today. That's why the next verse is Peter says this, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. I'm like, yeah, um, 
This life here, it seems super long to us, but it's really not. I mean, 2020 seems like the longest year of all time, but it's really not because the comparison is eternity. So he's like, yeah, you're going to have these various trials while you're here. But it's that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, um, that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're just, we're just hanging in there, right? That's what we're doing. But the future impacts the present. And the, the most obvious context for that is grief, right? Like when I'm saying, look, at the, look beyond the horizon, look, look at the future that God has secured. Uh, the most obvious way that we walk through that now is when we're grieving, and so if you have lost someone dear to you, um, you know what it's like to, to deal with that loss, to, to, to cry those tears, and to, ha- to, just, to go through all that. But you know what it's like knowing that that person's future has been secured by Christ, right? We grieve as those who have hope. That's why it's so different to grieve someone who you know where they stand with the Lord compared to someone where you have no idea where they stand with the Lord. Those grief processes are so different. They, they feel completely different. They're both terrible, but one is terrible in a different way than the other one. That's, one, that's the most obvious way where the guaranteed future impacts right now because we know this is not goodbye. It's a see you later, you know? And God uses that to comfort us. But you know, grief is not the only way that the future makes a difference in the present. Like, if this was all there is, like the Sadducees believed, then we should be pitied above all. But because this life is not all there is, there are all kinds of ways that this makes a difference in life. So, because because my future is guaranteed, I can be obedient. Like, I, I, I can say yes to Jesus. Because this is all there is. I mean, it's not all there is. If it were all there is, and Jesus was like, wanted me to go this way, I'm like, I'm not sure, because I only have one shot at this. And he's like, you don't have just one shot at this. Like, you, you have an eternity at this. And so what I want you to do is be obedient in this way. So I can say yes to him because this life is not all that there is. I can, I can, like with contentment, I can learn to be content in any situation because this life is not all that there is. Um, when it comes to disappointment, I, I, can, I can adapt when things don't go my way in this life because this life is not all that there is. I can be selfless and put others first because this isn't all there is. I can be generous and give away my time and my money and my energy because this isn't all there is. I can sacrifice and do without because this isn't all there is. I can, I can instead of being greedy, I can consider the beauty of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of America and the American dream. Why? Because this is not all that there is. I, I can learn to order my days and gain a heart of wisdom because this isn't all there is. I can rest. I can build Sabbath into my weekly rhythms. I really can because this is not all that there is. I, I can endure all things 
through Christ who strengthens me because this is not all that there is. I, instead of fear, I can live by faith and not by sight because this is not all that there is. I, I, I can forgive and refuse to make people pay for what they've done to me because this isn't all there is. I can walk in holiness and purity because this isn't all there is. I, I could keep this pattern going for a while, but I think you see what's going on that because of the reality of my future, to, it puts today into perspective. And so that's why I think we have to think about what, my, what does my life look like as an oak? And Jesus says, drag that into today and live like an oak. You're an acorn, yes, who will die and will emerge as an oak. But Jesus is inviting us to live as oaks now. It makes a difference now. When we go back to the Jesus story. You don't have to turn to it. Let me just close it out. So after he makes the statement about, about marriage, um, which to me is just like the tip of an iceberg, and we just kind of like, let's look at the rest of the iceberg for a second. What he is telling them is that you don't understand resurrection. Resurrection is recreation. It is emerging as an oak. It is like Jesus who emerged completely healed. That's what your life looks like. Verse 26, back in the Mark passage, it says, And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, which is their favorite book, he's their favorite author, uh, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him and said, I'm the God of Abraham. And the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He says, You guys completely missed the fact. You're so focused on Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that you missed the fact that their God is talking to you. They're like the, the God is the one that is doing this. That's why he's saying, You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And I read that and I'm like, We cannot miss that. Those dudes were immersed in the scriptures and they just had blinders on. They missed it. Oh my God, please, please do not let me or our church family miss that. May we never be ignorant of the scriptures or the power of God and the fact that, that this is something that God has said that he would do and is fulfilling it and will fulfill it, that he is powerful enough to do that. That's why he closes and he says, he's not God of the dead, but of the living. You guys are wrong. And he's telling them that they're wrong, and he's also inviting us to be right. (laughs) I love that about him. He loves us enough to tell us what the truth is. And the truth is that through, through Christ, through faith in Christ, we have a future that is secure and set. It's not just this, this same life, just on the other side. It's not just business as usual, status quo stuff. You will, the healed, completely healed forever version of you awaits you. Now let's drag that into our present and be faithful today. Because on that earth, you know, we're not going to, so we won't have marriage, the institution of marriage. We, we also won't have hospitals or hope because we won't need hope anymore. We won't need faith anymore. We won't have presidential elections anymore, right? Like, that, that eternity is, is full of beauty. And our present can also be full of beauty by walking in this. So where this reaches into your life, I don't, I don't know. That's between you and, and the Lord. But, but I, th- 
I really am just hung up on this idea of us not thinking of resurrection in general terms or for other people, but to really like look ourselves in the mirror and to dream and let the Lord show us what a resurrected version of you looks like. And to hear him saying, you can live that way now. Because this isn't all that there is. Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm so thankful that you have freed us from that Sadducean pattern and mindset. I mean, just think how hopeless it would be if this was all that there is. And just, um, just so grateful that you didn't leave it that way. And it's hard for us, God, to... Um, it's hard for us to shake off that idea that this life is all there is. It, it brings up so much pressure within us, and that's part of why we're so rushed. You know, we're trying to do so much all the time, and we're trying to keep up with other people, and we're, we get caught up in this rat race that's being led by people who act like there's no, there's no hope beyond uh, death, but we know differently. We know the truth because you've told it to us. And so, God, would you help us to, um, to not get swept up in that? Would you help us to see the areas and the ways in life where maybe we're living like Sadducees? You know, maybe, maybe we've embraced that mindset more than we realize. That there are, maybe there are subtle ways where we're living as if there really is, uh, as if this really is all that there is. And so would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you bring some clarity as we think about ourselves as oaks, oaks of righteousness, as you describe in the Psalms. And give us a vision, God. Give us your vision for our lives. We don't need our own vision. We need your vision. And so as we sing and as we pray and as we just kind of just let, let these moments be what they're supposed to be, would you have your way in our hearts and in our minds?